Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Brandon BK Kylie back from the dead, uh, and this is before the box score, uh, Arkansas rivalry week edition. Uh, first and foremost, BK, glad to have you back, man. It's great to be back. I've missed you the last week or so, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I think a lot better than you, uh, but probably just as good as the Mizzou football team is. Um, you know, we uh, Aaron and I talked about the Vandy beatdown and and the ramifications of that, but. Obviously, you shared your takeaways right after the game, which we all appreciated. But I wanted to give you some time to reclaim your throne and give us your hot takes uh, on what what impressed you the most about Vanderbilt and what you're looking at going forward. I mean, I, th- there was plenty to react to from the game. Uh, the biggest thing is, man, I'm just going to miss watching Nick Fulton and Larry Roundtree. Like, they were yeah. both awesome. They were both awesome. And Roundtree finished the game with, 160 yards on the ground he had 183 yards from scrimmage overall which is the second most that he's had in any game in his career at mizzou three rushing touchdowns and then bolton had a ho-hum nine tackle one sack two tackles for loss and a near interception game which for any other player basically in the country would be like wow that's a damn near career day Mm -hmm. for nick bolton it's just like oh cool he had another game um (laughs) and i'm just i'm gonna miss those guys because it's it's getting near the end of their time now at mizzou and it should be the end of their time at mizzou they're just they're both gonna go on to bigger and better things and it that makes me sad because I've really enjoyed watching them one last go around be on a team that is at least competitive, maybe not great, but at least competitive <laughs> and has given us some real fun moments this season. So that was probably my single biggest takeaway from the game was just being able to watch those two basically at the peaks of their powers. Once again, uh, for one of the last times that we're going to be able to see it in a Mizzou uniform. And that was, that was pretty special to see, even if it is against an opponent that was just clearly inferior. Like I said, I said in you know beyond the box score today, Vanderbilt played like an FCS team, just flat out. That's that's what it looked like, and I understand that they are missing a lot of guys, to injury to COVID, uh, playing for a coach who's <laughs> not good. Obviously, bad enough to be fired, but I mean, you look at if you just look at success rate per quarter, like how many of the percentage of plays you run per quarter, how many are successful, how many are good. Vanderbilt had a 54% success rate in the third quarter over their, like, 12 plays. The rest of the game, though, 29% in the first, 21% in the in the second. Basically game over at that point. And then they couldn't even finish strong, finishing at 33, 33% in, in the fourth quarter. They just – they were not ready. And I don't know if it was uninterest or lack of talent, but um, they couldn't hang with the Tigers uh, that were finally back to full strength. And – it showed in basically every stat you can think of in this entire box score. 
Yeah, I mean, that was the type of game that you want to see mm-hmm. from a team that is clearly superior to the other, right? Like, we talked about this so much during the Barry Odom era. Hell, it, the Vanderbilt game last year was mm-hmm. a clear example of this. And I know uh, Eli Drinkwitz talked about that a lot in his post game and leading up to the game. But, like, that's the game last year when we all should have probably known things were going to go south for Barry Odom and that it, w- it was going to be the end of his time at Mizzou because Vanderbilt was worse than Missouri. Mm-hmm. And they beat the hell out of Mizzou. And this year, it was the opposite. And even to a greater degree. I mean, Mizzou, from start to finish, was just dominant. In a way that you would expect to see from, like, Alabama against a solid FBS opponent. Totally. That's the way that Missouri beat Vanderbilt on Saturday. They just squashed them Mm -hmm. from start to finish. And it was fun to see because you don't see that very often from a program like Mizzou. But... I was able to talk with Peter Burns of the SEC Network earlier today on, on, on my radio show, and I thought it was really interesting because Peter said that he's talked with some coaches around the league after they've played Mizzou, and he said these coaches are just struck by how well-coached Missouri is. Like, just fundamental things, the, the little things that become really big things, right? And in a game like this against an opponent like that, that's when they show up at the most. Mm-hmm. You're just you're just better. You're well coached. You do the fundamental things right. You don't make mistakes. And by doing all of those things and being the more talented team, this is what the game should look like. And so it was it was really good to see that the work that they've put in, and I'm sure Drinkwitz feels the same way, the work that they've put in all offseason and then into the season is paying off in a way where they can kind of see what he's preaching. And it's really good to have these sort of um, this is almost like a positive reinforcement for some of the things that they've been teaching inside of that locker room. Mm-hmm. And they were able to see what, what that nets compared to what they were doing a year ago. Yeah. I mean, if these are, if Burns is talking to, you know, unnamed sources who are saying this, like, look, you know, the, the coaching circle is smaller than you think and catty as hell. So like, and without mm-hmm. even putting names to it, they're saying, wow, these guys are impressive. Like that, that's legit. That, that is, that is awesome to hear from your from your opponents uh, especially the ones who are scouting you every week and having to play against you and, and seeing that execution and knowing what they're looking for um yeah i mean everyone in front of a mic's gonna say oh yeah you know we wish barry would have had a better chance it, you know it sucks what happened and blah 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 like they all know how this goes and you got to kind of pay lip service up front and then you share your secrets and <laughs> behind not anonymity uh behind closed doors and if that's what we're hearing then that Guys, you got to be impressed with where your program is right now. And, and Gene Chizik said the same thing. Yeah, right? and he like, on the he SEC, on network. SEC yeah. network. Yeah, and he said Mizzou shouldn't be a secret to anybody. Their opponents don't want to play them right now. Yeah, they're physical. They run the hell out of the football. It was huge to have Larry Borum back, and I'm I'm assuming yeah. you guys mentioned that on the post game on Saturday. Mm-hmm. But God, he makes a difference in that running game, man. They just ran behind him seemingly all day, and I remember at least one of Larry Roundtree's touchdown runs. I can remember like vividly because Larry Borum just crushed the outside (laughs) of the defensive line inside. Like he just, the defensive end just collapsed inside and Borum went right with him. And it was like a wall on the right side of the O-line and Roundtree just followed it and right into the end zone. It it was, it was amazing. Like again, it's tough. I think it's tough for the, 
the average viewer to understand the impact of an offensive lineman, you mostly notice them if they're screwing up. And that's what we mm-hmm. saw from the last couple of weeks with offensive line. Like, oh, God, there's no there's no room here. There are no holes being opened. Like, you could tell. Uh, Borum apparently is just the, the glue that holds this line together. But don't discount Del- Delgado. On, on Larry Roundtree's second yep. touchdown run, like, I love Zeke Powell. Zeke Powell should not be starting – left tackle from a zoo but he's been doing an okay job you slap a xavier delgado next to him and all of a sudden delgado just smashed his end of the line and that freed up larry to do the little dance left uh and tiptoe into the end zone you know like like luke griffin's gonna be good he's not that good yet xavier delgado is that good and that's why you see him starting week to week to week and i think this is a good lesson to us when you're like oh why doesn't this guy see starts why doesn't this Mm -hmm. guy see snaps well Guys, this is why, because they are a lot better. Yeah, it, it was interesting to watch them kind of at their quote-unquote peak on the offensive line, because it just looks like a different team. It, it really does, yeah. and it makes all the difference in the world. There's cohesion. We probably don't talk about it enough, the way that the offensive line has to communicate. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a new dude to your right or to your left, and this year there's been a lot of new dudes to your right <laughs> and left, yeah. it just it completely changes everything that they're doing up front. And I think you also saw it from Connor Basilek. Mm-hmm. He had more time to throw back there. He finishes the day 30 for 37. There was at least one or two drops mixed in there as well. I texted you early in the game and I thought I, it seemed like Bazelak was headed for a little bit of a rocky start. Yeah. Um, he yeah. missed on that fourth down mm-hmm. early where he just didn't hit Bannister. And then from there, it seemed like he just completed everything. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was pretty accurate on the day. He took what the defense gave him. And I know that's pretty like lame analysis, but it's true. That's what he did from start to finish. And he finished the day with 318 yards through the air. I just, they were awesome, man. They, they really were. It was a really impressive performance. And uh, the one other guy that I want to make sure that I give a little bit of credit to, because I've been kind of critical of him this year. <laughs> Kiki Chisholm. Yes, sir. He has shown up in a really big way. And over the last three games now, basically since that final uh, junk time drive against Florida. He's put up all of his production since then 16 receptions, 192 yards. He's done that against Florida, South Carolina and Vandy. That is the production we were all expecting from him this year. And that's why I've been hard on him a little bit so far this year is because we, we thought that's the player that we were going to see. And we just haven't for much of the season, but if they can get that these final, however many, I guess two or three weeks, um, these last few games that they're going to play that that's going to help them potentially get up to six, maybe seven, probably six wins. <laughs> and that's, that's a hell of a year, man. If you told me before the season, they'd go six and four. I would have said, I will sign up for that each and every day. Hell yes. I, I, I don't want to explain away Chisholm's performance because he was way mega hyped coming in, but Let's let's try and do it anyway. Okay, so Alabama is Alabama. They erase everything that you want to do. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Tennessee started with Sean Robinson, then brought in Connor Bazelak, and Connor had been running with the twos. So you know maybe we didn't see a lot of Chisholm on the field anyway. And even if we did, Connor didn't have a good rapport with him. So okay, there you go. LSU Chisholm's out with COVID. Uh, bye week. And then you got Kentucky, which we didn't throw because we didn't have to throw. We just ran all over him. And then you got Florida, which actually did a really good job of limiting pass effectiveness for Mizzou. So you can essentially explain away everything 
And then we get to South Carolina, which, I mean, okay. He was good. He was good in there. We get to Vanderbilt. Okay, well, he was good there. And now you got a much easier slate of Arkansas, Mississippi State, Georgia. But these next two (laughs) games, like – this is his chance to, to ball out a little bit and show what he can do and, and then maybe yep. have confidence for Georgia. Who knows? Yeah, and if he's able to, um, that that totally changes the way that he's going to be remembered for his, yep. his potentially short time at Mizzou. Um, and I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that, man, because it it's easy, both him and Hazleton. I think it would have been easy for them to sulk Oh yeah, because they are grad transfers who came here for a reason. Mm-hmm. and it has not gone as either of them would have expected. They have combined this season for 40 catches for less than 500 yards and one total touchdown. That's that, that's they would have probably expected that both of them would have had something pretty close to that. Yeah. Um and certainly the touchdowns, I think both of them would have expected them to be higher at this point in the season. So it hasn't gone as they've expected, but Hazelton, even when he gets in there, he this week had the catch and it was a significant one late. Uh, Kiki Chisholm is starting to come on late. It's it's been good to see, and that I think they they deserve a lot of praise for that because it would have been easy because they're they're now getting passed up by the likes of Towski Dove or at least mm-hmm. Damon Hazelton is and Barrett Bannister on the depth chart, and that's mm-hmm. that's got to be tough to watch when you came here thinking that you were going to be a touchdown maker, and he, he hasn't exactly been that. He hasn't, but they have they have a couple games to prove it. So I hope that they yeah. do. Um. I want to talk about some interesting things because, like, it was tough to find an entertaining game. So let's talk about the interesting factoids. Um, against, let's see here, against LSU, Mizzou had six penalties for 51 yards. Against Kentucky, they had six penalties for 54 yards. Against Florida, Mizzou had five penalties for 22 yards. And against South Carolina, they had seven penalties for 69 yards. I don't know if you read my piece or not, BK, but do you know how many penalties were called on Missouri against Vanderbilt? I don't remember very many at all. One. Yeah. One. Uno. Uh, That was Zeke Powell personal foul in like the first quarter. And then nothing else. Now, I don't know if there's ever been a game where Missouri has had zero penalties. But based off of the research that I could do, I can tell you that the last time that Missouri had a game with one penalty was against Oklahoma yeah. State in 2011. Uh, they had a holding call for five yards. That was it. Interesting. So, now, in fairness to what I – I don't know. Well, in transparency, how about that? Vanderbilt was only called for three, and one of those was a very so, obvious intentional grounding. So, refs might have By the way, they've been. had three – in the last 20 years, Mizzou's had three games with zero penalties total. In the last 20 Iowa years? Iowa State – Iowa State in 2011, Navy in 2009. Oh, oh God. Oh, well. And Oklahoma State in 2004. Those are the three times that they've had zero. Penalties. Wow, good for you. Your research is way better than mine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Vanderbilt. That's according to sports reference, by the way. Uh, Credit uh, where it is due. They're usually pretty accurate. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so Ken Seals' intentional grounding was one of those penalties. So really, they were only called for two. And the other two was a false start and a delay of game. So there is a solid chance that the refs were just not interested in calling penalties and getting the hell out of there. I don't blame mm-hmm. them. But still, uh, it is a feat to go through an entire game and only get one penalty called on you, you know? 
Yeah, it, it's an awesome feat. And it goes back to the coaching point that I was talking about earlier, right? Like this is this is just a fundamentally sound football team. And that has not always been the case yeah. since 2015, you know? Mm-hmm. So if if you could only have one thing from Eli Drinkwitz this year, discipline would probably be pretty high up there on the list of things that you would like to see mm-hmm. because it is at least an early indicator that he's he's coaching well and that has shown itself with blinking lights every time that they take the field this is a very disciplined team that knows exactly what it is they have a very clear identity and they play to it every week and i think there's something to be said for that because last year the team lacked an identity Mm -hmm. and they've been able to develop that really quickly especially i think since kentucky The Kentucky game, I think, is when Missouri really developed what it is. Mm -hmm. It's a run-first football team that is really, really physical that's going to lean on its defense to be able to win some games. And that's that's what they've done since then, you know? Mm -hmm. That's been impressive. I think the most impressive stat for me, maybe one of the more unique, and and I need to start tracking this because I just never did. It just stood out to me that I was so odd. So I want to talk about first down production, and I talked about this in the Beyond the Box score today. For the entire game, BK, Missouri ran 81 plays for 629 yards. Okay, 81 plays, 629 yards. 38 of those plays were a first down. And on those plays, they gained 248 yards. So that means that of of those 81 plays, 47% of their plays were run on a first down. Oh, my God. And 39% of their entire yardage was gained on a first down. Almost half their plays were run on first down, and almost 40% of their entire yards were gained on a first down. That is incredibly difficult to do, and it shows, A, how bad Vanderbilt was, but also, B, how locked in Mizzou was. It's it's a performance that you very, very rarely see from this type of a team against... I mean, let's be honest here. Vanderbilt's not good. Yes. <laughs> they're really, they really not a good football team. But it's very rare that you see anybody do this against another Power 5 team. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, let's go back to kind of history as an indicator here, right? The last time Missouri shut out an opponent was 2018 against Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Now, that Arkansas team was awful. Very, very bad. And that was at the end of the season, and they wanted nothing to do with being there. And there's some truth to that about Saturday as well for Vanderbilt, yeah. but neither here nor there. Before that, you have to go all the way back to 2010 for the last time that Missouri shut out a Power 5 opponent. Missouri didn't do it in 2013. They didn't do it in 2014. And those teams were really good. So it, it's really difficult to do this regardless of who you're going up against. And uh, the offense, the defense, special teams, they all deserve credit for, for what they were able to do on Saturday against Vandy. They, they made them look, as you said, like an FCS opponent. And n- nobody has, has made them look that way, the way that Missouri did this year. God, 2010 had two shutouts. Colorado 26 yeah. nothing, Iowa State 14 nothing. Um, poor Colorado, they always get shut out, or they're more likely to get shut out by Mizzou because we also shut them out in 2008, 58 mm-hmm. nothing after that disastrous road trip to Texas. So, um, yeah, it's really tough to shut out a Power 5 opponent, and uh, Missouri just did it. Now, we're not comparing this 2020 Mizzou squad to 2010 or 2008 or 
anything like that. We're just 13, saying 14. it's tough to do, and this team just did it. That's all. It's just adding context. So, um, yeah, just oh God, just incredible. Absolutely incredible game. Not interesting, like from an entertainment standpoint, but very interesting just from a results standpoint. So I was I was entertained. I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm not. No. God, one sided fist fights. No, I'm not. I, I like seeing. See, I I will enjoy it for seeing the bench empty. I will enjoy it for seeing Brady Cook throw his first touchdown pass for Elijah Young, just blowing up all over the place. Well, three of his four plays anyway. Uh, young guys seeing the field. You know, getting the backup linebackers in there, getting backup defensive linemen. Ben Key saw the field, right? The Aussie. I love seeing that stuff. So I, that's that's what I like about blowouts. Any other reason? I'm just no, no. Not I got to see Chad Bailey play football. That was fun. I enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. God. I got to see Tyler Beatty get really involved in the passing game. I enjoyed the heck out of that, man. <laughs> um, I I got to see some fun things on Saturday. I got to see Elijah Young get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks like he's going to run really hard and looks like a pretty good football player. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be a significant portion of the backfield. So I'm with you there. I get it. Like, it's not captivating. And it wasn't a good football game, but I was entertained. I, I, I got to be honest. I don't get to, as Mizzou fans, we don't get a whole lot of these types of games. And so I was entertained by it whenever we do get it. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That's fair. Look, look for the other things. That's what I always say. Like how, how are the backups playing? What kind of backups do you mm-hmm. see? There's always things you can find, but no, the, the result was in hand first quarter. So that was not dramatic, but man, it's nice to have those games every once in a while. So, Vanderbilt loses, Missouri wins. And the next day they turn around and fire Derek Mason. <laughs> Which yeah, that, that's fine. I, I I was of the opinion that they were not going to do anything, but it's kind of tough to lose to a Missouri team 41 to nothing. Like that that's really tough to defend, especially if you're already on the hot seat and haven't won a game all year. Uh, I, I think the administration of Vanderbilt kind of looked at the fact that, hey, we are losing a ton of guys, transfer portal to COVID and to injury. Uh, it's going to be a tough sell next year. Like, they're not going to be any good next year. I think we should just cut our losses and let them go now, which I get. Uh, so, yeah, Missouri's kind of a grim reaper, especially when it comes to, you know, Tennessee coaches. But taking down Butch Jones, we're taking down Brett Bielema. Now we've taken down Derek Mason. I mean – Without knowing too much about Vanderbilt's situation, BK, I mean, how do you feel about the the Derek Mason firing? It makes sense. Um, he just – I think he was in a similar spot to Barry Odom at Missouri mm-hmm. where you kind of don't feel like there's a whole lot of ceiling to what he's trying to accomplish there. And um, – I, I don't know what the ceiling is at Vanderbilt if it's not what James Franklin did there. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's that's pretty much it. Uh, I've seen a lot of people call for them to go the triple option route. I don't think that's necessary. I think you can. I got no issue with it if that's the route that you want to go. Um, but you're in Nashville, which is a city that a lot of people would like to be in. <laughs> Um, you have a beautiful campus. It's unbelievable in terms of like what you're offering for a scholarship to go to play football at Vanderbilt means you're going to attend one of the best colleges in the country. Um, and you're doing it for free. 
So they do have something to offer. And I think it can be a solid job. Um, it's just a hard job because there are there are things that you have to do academically um, that make it a little more difficult than certain other places. So um, there's a specific type of coach that can succeed there, that will succeed there. And I don't know if that candidate is out there this year. And that's one of the things that I'm struggling with is like, who do you want to see there? Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to get rid of your coach, and I, again, I don't have a problem with them deciding to go this route the way that I didn't have a problem necessarily with Missouri doing it with Barry Odom last year. You got to have somebody that you feel like is obviously an upgrade that you know would take the job. And I wonder who that guy is for them. Yeah. I, you know, just to your point, Nashville is one of the top economies in the country. Well, non COVID, um, when that thing is rocking, pun intended, it is it is huge. It's it's fast growing, population is booming. It is going to be a major, if not already, a major metropolitan area, and with that comes a lot of elite athletes over time. So it is it is growing. It's a nice place to live. People like it there. Obviously, the music scene is huge. So it is a desire. It's a desirable place to live, like you said. It's a good education, also, like you mentioned. Here's the other thing. Here's why it's actually pretty highly clamored for. I saw, I forget who it was on Twitter who said uh, Vanderbilt's a top five SEC job. No, no, shut up. Alabama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Texas A&M, those are five top five jobs. Vanderbilt is not. However, Vanderbilt's a very in-demand job. It's in-demand from G5 coaches because you go to Vanderbilt and you get, I think it's about somewhere between three and four million dollars, which Huge upgrade from the maybe a million that you're making in the G5, um, but also your assistant pool extends out, which is super helpful, and they like that. Um, but it is a – it's a in the SEC, so you have SEC money. That's why their coaches make a ton. That's why they want to be there. And the expectations are really low. I mean, keep in mind, Derek Mason was there. This was his seventh year. Derek Mason was 27-55. and 55. He won 10 SEC games. <laughs> Seven years. <laughs> Making four million a year. Like, it's not that bad. If you if you get the administration to schedule you easy non-conference games and you win all four, then all you gotta do is win two games in conference and then you bowl every year. And that's a lot easier and said than done. And you're in the SEC done. East. And you're in the SEC East. So you may catch Georgia with the pants down, you know, and make your make a run for the division. You know, that it's 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 possible. So it is it is in-demand job for the money, for the prestige, and for the lack of pressure. However, there are things that go against it. Obviously, academics is one. Sure, that's absolutely true. But remember, Stanford and Duke and Northwestern, same situation, high academic standards, they're competing. The difference is that Vanderbilt as an administration does not care about football. They have a kick-ass baseball team, and they're like, well, that's cheap to maintain, so we're just going to do that. <laughs> that's all we're going to do. Their facilities are garbage. The support from the doctors and music producers that are their alumni, very, very low. It's going to take a salesman, a good salesman, which is what James Franklin was, uh, and a, a solid recruiting team. But you need to get someone in there who will demand the administration to kind of bend the knee and let them have some funds to, to work with. And it takes a really big personality to do that, which, yeah, like you said, there aren't a lot of them. I will look at uh, Will Healy over in Charlotte. He, that was the name that I wanted to bring up. He built Austin P from nothing. Uh, Austin P was maybe the worst college football team in the world. 
and he got them into the FCS playoff in two years. And Austin P, is that in Nashville? I know it's in Tennessee. Uh, um, I don't know. Clarksville. That might be a suburb. But he knows the area, okay? And obviously he's taken Charlotte to new heights. He got them bowling last year for the first time ever. Uh, and he's super, super young, and he's super, super affordable. I don't know how he is as a salesman, but he can certainly build a program up. I think the big name is Clark Lee, the defense coordinator from Notre Dame, but you tend to not hire the same type of guy that you got last time. So if your defense coordinator hired <laughs> – never a head coach, defense coordinator doesn't cut it, you're probably not going to do that again. But I don't know. SEC seems to be moving kind of offensive, you know, with Mike Leach, with Lane Kiffin, with Eli Drinkwitz, like – there's a lot of new offensive personalities in the conference, so I kind of feel like they're going to go OC. I think so too. Uh, by the way, Clarksville is a um, it's a little outside of Nashville, but it's it's close enough that it that's the closest city yeah. to um, to Clarksville. So he he has some ties to the area for sure. Um, he's somebody that makes a lot of sense to me. He's young. He's energetic. He's done all right at Charlotte. Pretty good, given what Charlotte is as a program. Um, like you said, had success in the area, is familiar with the area. I I just don't know. Again, I go back to this. I Who are the candidates this year? Because it's such a weird season that I don't think anybody really broke out. <laughs> and like... I, I know that's a weird thing to say, but every season we we see these G5 teams, right, where the coach has a breakout season. They go nine and three, eight and four in a program nobody expected it from, and they become the next hot candidate. And then if they don't get a job that offseason, we'll, we'll talk about them the following offseason. I think that's kind of what's happening right now with Will Healy. His hot season came last year, mm -hmm. and now he continues to be the hot name this year because he's backed it up with a solid season for Charlotte. But again, everything this year is weird. Um, there really hasn't been any breakouts this season because how can you break out in this type of a season? The closest you're talking about like Fickle, but eh, he's not coming to, no, to Vandy. No, he's a he's an Ohio guy through and through. Yeah, the biggest breakthrough from the G five ranks is Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. And he is an offensive guy with a really unique uh, option, kind of – it's kind of like a flex, but I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like triple option meets spread flex bone. And hmm. it's really interesting to watch the, watch the quarterback's feet. If you ever see them, and they're on TV, because guess what? There's not a lot of us on TV. Um, and they're also ranked in the college football playoff. Um the quarterback's feet are really weird. They're hopping all over the place. It's like the exact opposite of Missouri James Franklin, the quarterback who just kind of stood there and threw it. They are active and moving all over the place, and it's like some really unique stuff that they're running there. He would be a good candidate for that. And, of course, I mean, yes, there's not like a huge group of breakout coaches like there were last time, but, I mean, keep in mind, Billy Napier is still out there. He's still at But Louisiana. he's not going there. He probably the won't. Thing is I'm talking about guys that would actually consider the job at Vandy, right? Billy Napier seems like he's just out, out of there. It, just like at Mizzou, I would say the same thing for Missouri. I yeah. think Billy Napier was just outside of their grasp. Yeah. Um, and I, I just can't see him being the type of guy that would jump at the first job. I think he's going to jump at the best job. Sure. And so I, I, think there's, I think there's a few guys in that line where they're at really good 
like G5 jobs right now mm-hmm. that are going to continue to sustain. And so they don't feel this is one of the things that Mizzou ran into last year. And it's just, it's it's something that Michigan's going to run into. It's something that USC has run into. Like these coaches just aren't jumping for any job. They want the job that they're looking for because their current gigs are pretty good opportunities and they're going to continue <laughs> winning. They make good money yeah. um, and they know that their names are going to stay at the top of everybody's list. And so once their job opens up, then they'll go take it. Yeah. But in the meantime, they'll just keep winning wherever they are. They'll keep their names hot and um, they'll see where that takes them. And however long it takes, that's, that's fine. I think fickle plays into that. <laughs> and I think you're seeing Napier kind of do something similar right now down in Louisiana. The only coach I can really think of who, Truly bowed his time? Bayed his time? I don't know. Who appropriately waited uh, was over in Boise State, Chris Peterson. Mm-hmm. He is the one. He was he was floated for every Power 5 job out there. And he waited and he waited and he waited and kept winning, mind you. Um, and then finally took the Washington job, and that paid off. Now, I, I, there's a lot of coaches who I'm like, you know, should Tom Herman have taken the Texas job? Who knows? Um, you know, Justin Fuente should have taken the Virginia Tech t- job. <laughs> Looking now, probably not. Um, like, there's a lot of guys who feel like the right fit and just don't work out because coaching changes are a crapshoot. But yeah, um, yeah, I, guys, you know, Billy Napier, if he if he thinks he can bide his time, there you go, bide his time, um, and and wait, that's fine. But his predecessor did the exact same thing. Mark Hudspeth, he sat at Louisiana for like two or three years waiting for the best job to come up. And in the meantime, the Cajuns fell apart to the point where he had to take a like an assistant job somewhere else. And he was he was a hot well, Billy Napier's good. Now he has he's got a couple of years that he was good, but I don't know. We'll see. I'm really curious. I think it's gonna be an offensive guy. I think Jamie Chadwell would be a good fit. Um also Jeff Munkin at Army. I know <laughs> Missouri, you guys got really mad at me when I floated that out uh <laughs> last year. <laughs> Jeff Munkin's a hell of a good coach. It's the wrong brother. <laughs> I know. It's just, here's the thing. Actually, Todd would be interesting. He's not a salesman. Though. <laughs> Todd's got an <laughs> offensive background. So yeah, who knows? But the thing with Jeff Munkin is that he runs the pure triple. And if you hire him to do that, if any program hires a pure triple option coach, it's, it's tough for the athletic director because they're basically telling their boosters, yeah, we need to be happy with eight wins. <laughs> and there's not a lot of boosters out there who are going to take that just sitting there and say, yeah, you can keep your job, right? They're not going to pay the athletic department for eight wins. So it's tough to pitch that. But I think Vandy could be one of those schools that could do it. Uh, I'd be really curious what Jeff Munkin does at a Power 5 job if he keeps the pure triple or if he blends it like, um, uh, what's his name, Willie, over in Tulane. He's got like a hybrid triple Fritz. option. Willie Fritz, there we go. I w- I'm thinking he would do that, but Vandy needs to get weird. That. I think- I think I've heard in the past, and I think this was around the time when Missouri was at least allegedly um, kicking the tires on the possibility of Jeff Munkin. I I had heard that he would be open to not running the triple option or at least running a variation of it if he were to get a power five job. And he does it at Army because that's, I mean, you have to. to. You have to. Yeah. So these guys aren't stupid. They know what's going to work. So I, I mean, God, Gus Malzahn was a triple coach for (laughs) until he got to Arkansas State. So yeah don't worry about that but hey guess what we have a coach we don't have to worry about any of this it's just we've got a good coach we got a hell of a good coach but you know it 
guess what? Wins are at a premium. If someone gets more, then you get less. So it's always interesting to know what your opponent's going to do. Um, but getting back to Missouri-centric here, a couple bits of good news. Uh, Nick Bolton was listed as a semifinalist for the Butkus Award, which is the nation's best mm. linebacker. And Connor Bazelak is on the uh, short list, finalist list. I'm a little unclear, but he's on the watch list for uh, the Davey O'Brien Award, which is a quarterback award. So um, well-deserved, especially after last week's game. And uh, go on to uh, Missouri football social media and like the post. I guess Davey O'Brien Award's doing some kind of like, I don't know what, but like if you like the post, he gets to stay on the watch list or some stupid thing, which is not a good way of oh deciding your, your your award, but okay. Um, but yeah, it's well-deserved, and congrats to both of those guys. Yeah, awesome award, or awesome uh, honors for both of them, and both unbelievably deserving of that as well. Um, Nick Bolton's going to get some love for SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Now, I don't know if he's going to win it. No, it's um, probably, probably Grant Morgan. Won't, but he he deserves to at least be on, like, if they do a I – mean, they don't. But if they were to do a watch list for that, and we do watch lists for everything, I feel like we should do this for the SEC, um, he, he would be on it. His name would be among them, um, and it would be it would be deserving because he's been that dominant this year. I we talked about this a lot at the beginning of the season. Like, can he take that step? Can he be one of the great Mizzou defensive players of the last 20 years? Can he be in that kind of a conversation? Because that was the next step for him. Mm-hmm. He was already really, really good last year. And then the next step was, all right, can you be transcendent? Mm-hmm. Can you be on the list with Sheldon Richardson and Weatherspoon? Can, can you be in that type of a lore? And I think he is now. He, I don't know how far you get down that list before you get to Bolton. But in terms of like most dominant individual defenders of the last 20 years, he'd probably at a, at worst be like top five or six on that list. I would think. Well, yeah. Uh, Sheldon's got to be up there. I would say so. I mean, it was a very brief career, but it was impactful as hell. So yeah, I would, I would Weather say spoon has so. got to be up there. Yeah. Um, who else would you take? Would you Michael take... Sam because of his season, probably. Michael Sam, Shane Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Is, is that is that the list above Nick Bolton? Like yeah, you, you've, you've got potentially Marcus Golden. I wouldn't put William Moore up there. I would not put I was William about Moore to up say there. Willie Moe. No. Um, Pig Brown just did I not think... have a big enough sample size. Right. But. Yeah, that if might be If you would include Justin Smith, Alden, Alden would probably okay. be, on, be on this list. Yeah. Um, if you include Justin Smith's one season in like 2000, and I know that's kind of always the differentiating here, uh, he could be among this list. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we're talking, if that's the list that he's on, I think that's the point <laughs> that is being made here, right? Like Absolutely. he's 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 going to go down as one of the best defenders of the last 20 years, which means one of the best Mizzou players of the last 20 years. Yeah, that's true. Man, well, that's it's great that he's you know kudos to Odom and his his guys for finding him and, and playing him and kudos to Nick for doing the stuff playing the game like he's awesome and I can't wait to see him at the next level making money and and making fools hurt. So, uh, speaking of awards, Nate, yeah. before we move on here, um, where would you have drink right now in the SEC Coach of the Year competition? I mean, I know you could always give this to Nick Saban, and we don't because that would just be boring. 
Um, I I know I hate him, but I think that you could probably make a case for Dan Mullen as well with what that Florida oh, offense has done under Kyle Trapp. Yeah, I know. I guess, but I, that offense is unbelievable, man. I it is. I didn't think Kyle Trapp was capable of this. It is, but Florida's expected to do that stuff. It's it's either know, but... it's either Sam Pittman or or Eli Drinkwitz, and this is a Missouri podcast. I'm a Missouri fan. I'm a little biased. <laughs> I think it should be Eli, but then again, Arkansas hadn't won an SEC game in like two freaking years, <laughs> and in one year they turned it completely around. So I, it's probably going to be Sam Pittman, and I think that's fine. But if you were to ask me personally, give it a drink. You think Saturday determines it? Like if Mizzou were to win this game Saturday, twenty-seven twenty. So it's Does funny that tilt it in Missouri's favor because when Gary played Gus in this SEC championship game, that was basically the SEC coach of the year championship too, <laughs> and Gus won, so he won out. Um, yes, but Missouri has two games after that, and I think Arkansas has right. one or two. So maybe if they care about that sort of thing, I just I just think they're going to look at Arkansas being unwinfeated forever, and then like scaring Georgia and winning a handful of games, going yeah, that that should be it. So. The tough part is, like, Arkansas could still finish last in their own division. I think they're sixth and, right now, so, yeah. Yeah. That's true. And Missouri is very likely, almost certainly, if they win this weekend, going to finish third in their division. I think they can't not finish third. Okay. Yeah, because they have the tiebreaker yeah. against Kentucky. Yep. So, yeah, they're going to finish – the Tigers are going to finish third in the SEC East. Arkansas very well could finish last in the SEC West – if the Tigers get the head-to-head victory, and I know expectations are different at Arkansas given what they've been through, but I mean, I, I could see a pretty easy case, even not with, like, if we take off the black and gold bow tie real quick, <laughs> um, I, I could see the, an easy case to be made for drink what's over Pittman. I could too. I could too. And especially when you think of the peers, right? These peers and how they how they view them. I, I think the the cop out answer here is that Odom gets assistant coach of the year, <laughs> but um, I don't know. Maybe it is this game that decides it. And who knows? But uh, yeah, I think what Drinkwitz has done with basically the same roster as last year. Now, I don't I don't know yeah. what Arkansas's was, but they did bring in Felipe Franks. Um, basically, the exact same roster as 2019. He is almost going. He's probably going to match win total with two fewer games, and an all SEC schedule amazing and like from a quality standpoint they're not all that much better than they were last year but it's the little things like you're talking about execution discipline like just how they look they look competent they look prepared like it's, it's a huge difference well and what are we talking about right like are, are we talking about the average of last year what they were okay yeah i would agree with that but if we're talking about the second half team last sure. year like that was one of the worst football teams missouri's put on the field in the last two decades yeah the, the, the second half team last year was absolutely atrocious. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year they, they went through a little bit of a rough spell there in the middle with what they did against Florida, but it didn't derail the season like it did a year ago. And I think there, there's a lot of credit that deserves to be going around there for this coaching staff as well, that they were able to keep it on the rails whenever they went up against South Carolina the following day. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. 
So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And without everything that they've went through COVID-related as well. True. I mean, they were playing yeah. games with like half of their team was unavailable and they didn't know who on the offensive line was going to be there for them. And whether you want to give them credit or not, because you know, some teams, maybe you want to give them credit for not having those same issues. I regardless, they, they, they coached through the hand that they were dealt and they did a, a damn good job of doing so. Drink has certainly put together a season that's worthy of sec coach of the year. If he gets it, that's awesome. If he doesn't cool. Guess what? You're Missouri. You get plenty of opportunities, but you pick sixth or seventh in the division. So he's got a lot more cracks at winning this thing. So it's going to be okay. But I just don't think he deserves it now. Uh, okay. So let's uh, let's actually speaking of Arkansas and and the the game that's ahead of this week. Uh, I was lucky enough to talk to uh, the Arkansas boys on their podcast, uh, and so we're going to bring them up and talk about uh, the game up upcoming this week. All right, I am joined by Saul Malone and Tucker Partridge, my, literally my favorite Arkansas fans in the entire freaking world. Excellent Twitter follows, excellent show over at Hogging the Mic, if you hear the pun there. But uh, Saul Tucker, thank you for joining me tonight. Hey, thank you for having us, man. Love to talk the battle line rivalry brought to you by Shelter Insurance. Shelter Insurance, our overlords of the biggest, most ostentatious trophy in the in America, <laughs> or maybe the second most ostentatious trophy involving Arkansas. Can you all expand upon that? Yeah, that's the thing is we love those big gaudy trophies. And I, at least, this is parlance around Arkansas circles, is that our former linebacker, who is actually pretty involved in the program, David Basil, apparently was part of the committees to like create these trophies. And I'm not like religiously opposed to a cool trophy for a, a rivalry game uh but apparently mr basil only knows how to do the outlines of states so uh, <laughs> that's what we got <laughs> it's funny like it's just another it's just like a a poor man's version of the golden boot where it's on the bottom this time it's like <laughs> it's not very good it's it like, is like an empty outline of each state which i feel like reflects the state of each football program over the past couple <laughs> oh, of years geez. is just emptiness so oh god it hurts because it's funny and true um <laughs> so i mean along those lines you guys have been just ass garbage for you know the past three years and now you have competence how does how do you feel about Sam Pittman and his entire staff? I am ready to build a statue already. <laughs> um, if, <laughs> if we're being completely honest. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's so jarring. I think that's the thing is because to go from, you know, the Chad Morris era into this Sam Pittman regime. And I think what well, you, you said it very well. Like it is astounding just what competence can do. Um, and just what it looks like to have a coach and a coaching staff around a head coach that knows how to connect with their players and get them to play. And, you know, obviously Arkansas coming into the season did not have high expectations, certainly not from Tucker or I. You know, we were like, it'd no. be cool to get a win or two, uh, but, you know, a, a winless season is very much on the table. So, you know, that's when that's your bar, it's pretty easy to clear. So, I mean, oh, yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, 
I think for Arkansas fans, uh, I'd speak for a lot of them when I say that my stomach lurched at the fact that the pandemic meant we were getting an SEC-only schedule. And quite frankly, I don't think anybody was expecting us to be in many games, if any. And quite frankly, we've been in all of them except for really the Florida game. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of see that competence is shocking it's wonderful it reminded me why i fell in love with the razorbacks in the first place it's been wonderful and due in no small part to something i'm sure we'll talk about uh but to former mizzou coach barry odom god yeah yeah (laughs) so we are going to touch on that in a second because I, I, I don't remember. I don't know your schedule very well. But for, like for Missouri, I feel like Arkansas, Missouri, kindred spirits, especially with this season, because we both got the business end of a full SEC schedule. Oh, yes. And <laughs> But here's the thing. We replaced, you know, uh, what Central Arkansas, Eastern Michigan, sure. But we were also supposed to play Louisiana and BYU. So yeah. we actually kind of dodged a couple bullets there. I what, was going to say what, that looks like a big bullet dodged, what, at least with BYU. What was your schedule before COVID rewrote the entire thing? Uh, we were supposed to go to Notre Dame. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we may have you a little beat yeah. on bullets dodged. Yeah. Oh and, gosh. oh, God, Saul, can you remember the other non-con game? Because it was two cupcakes and two pretty good ones, I thought. Yeah, uh, I think weren't we supposed to have? Wasn't this the year that Texas started, or was that in a couple years? I think that may be next year. Uh, okay. But either way, that is, uh, yeah, no. But, uh, never thought that I would long for an only SEC schedule, <laughs> but in that in that case, you're absolutely right. Nobody wants to play the Storm and Mormons, and nobody wants to play the Fighting Catholics right now. Yeah. So and it's a huge year for religious schools. <laughs> Louisiana's not looking bad either. Billy no, Napier's got no. those boys cooking. Yeah, like it's it's a that was going to be a trap schedule no matter what because the casual fan would look at it and go, "Oh, we would win," and then we would lose. Like just no doubt about it. So <laughs> um, it, it, we we dodged a little bit of a bullet. But like the other thing is that you know we both hire these coaches and they're met with kind of lukewarm approaches. But like. Eli Drinkwitz is doing this with basically the exact same roster as last year. What's your roster situation? Obviously, you brought in Felipe Franks, but is it mostly the same dudes, or did they have to bring in their own guys? No, it's mostly the same guys, which is why this season is just puts such sharp relief on how bad Chad Morris was, is that Pittman and Barry Odom and this staff are getting these results out of the pretty much same roster. You know, a couple of guys graduated, and, you know, lose a couple seniors, and, you know, we do bring in Felipe Franks, but for all intents and purposes – this is the same Razorback team that we fielded last year. Yeah, I, I obviously the quarterback position is the most important position on the field. And so, yeah, bringing in a guy who has SEC experience and can play matters, given that under Chad Morris we had eight different quarterbacks in two years. Uh, but That's bad, no, if, it, you're, if you're wondering. <laughs> the biggest step up in my opinion has been the defense and those guys are the same if not worse in terms of just <laughs> on-field talent yeah. like yeah walk-ons it's, right it's really it's incredible walk-ons at the starting positions or a couple of them anyway yes uh one of the big stories of the year has been our cornerback hudson clark who was a walk-on at arkansas and he had three interceptions against ole miss Good God. so yeah. that was a. Uh, it, it's been kind of a you know Stuck together crew, motley crew. We've mm-hmm. had Grant Morgan, our linebacker, playing with one arm for most of the season. Yeah. Um, but it really, no, it's just a testament to the coaches being able to get 
something different out of these players. And quite frankly, I'm sure Mizzou has witnessed this, but players getting belief in them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's a novel concept, isn't it? You know? Um, yeah. It's just incredible. So, Barry, Barry, Barry Odom. <laughs> uh, he was our cast off. He, he was a, maybe the best defensive coordinator in the world. Not a good head coach yet. We all believe that he will be. It just wasn't going to happen at Mizzou. Obviously, he's taken a, a duct tape roster on the defensive side and turned it around. But uh, he didn't deliver when he was a head coach for you guys or the interim ho- head coach. <laughs> I, I mean, overall, just how much do you love Barry Odom and why does that make me so mad? Uh, I'm actually ready to build a statue of Barry. Um, <laughs> and it's simply because uh, this defense is unlike an Arkansas defense that I've seen maybe in my lifetime and just – in terms of everybody being in position, everybody being ready to make a play and forcing turnovers. I mean, that's been the biggest deal this year has been our margin for turnovers because I don't know what is in the Kool-Aid that Barry is passing out, but it is like turnover juice because our defense has been just unstoppable at getting turnovers. I will I will challenge that the interim game that he had to fill in when Sam Pittman had COVID was against Florida, (laughs) and they kind of look like a Death Star on offense. So yeah, we can maybe give him a little leniency there. But uh, yeah, no, we love Barry, and I know that's a little weird for a Missouri fan to hear. Yeah, and uh, we got guys just we look like a better defense. We're really flying around to the ball. We we're in position. We know where we're supposed to be. We look like we know what's going on on the field, which is so nice. And one thing I will say for Barry is, uh, you know, even in that a game against Florida where it was pretty obvious that we were out outgunned, outmanned, whatever you want to say there. One thing that we've noticed, Tucker and I especially have noticed this year is in these games last year when we're getting blown out. There's a lot of quit. There was a lot of quit in that team mm-hmm. because, you know, at halftime you're getting blown out by, I don't know, San Jose State. You're probably not going to have a good time. <laughs> and this year, even when we're down or losing to a better team, there's no quit in mm-hmm. the Hogs this year. They don't give up. They keep battling. Even against Florida when we were down, you know, and, and the game was decidedly out of hand. We scored a couple of last-minute touchdowns to make it a little closer than it than it looked, mm-hmm. you know. And that's, that Arkansas team doesn't do that last year. They don't care about finishing a game if they're losing. They don't care about trying to – you know, fight for something. And, and Tucker and I are not moral victories people. We don't really believe in that. But it's it's nice to see an Arkansas team that's in games, and they're in games because they don't give up, and it's because they believe in their team. And that's that's come from this new coaching staff, and Barry Odom's a big part of that. He's given this defense a lot of confidence, and I think that's part of why they play so well. It like, kind of just amplifies itself. It's like, we play good. Our coaches believe in us to play well, so we continue to play well. That fosters more belief from the coaches, and it just kind of circles back in a really positive way. So... That's something that we've noticed a lot this season is there's no quit in this team, um, and it would be very easy to quit on some of these games, and yeah. we won some of them because of it. I mean, the, that Tennessee game is a really good example, just an awful first half, and then the second half, third quarter especially, just looked like a different team. So that's really exciting for us this year. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the thing with Barry, you saw him at Memphis, and you saw him as one-year defensive coordinator at, at Missouri, and he and – he, He's just such a dominant defense, whether it's a 3-4 or 4-3 hybrid. Like, he can he can do anything he wants. When I heard that Arkansas was hiring Kendall Bryles, number one, I don't know how you feel about him. I think, he, personally, he's kind of a garbage human. Are we all on board with that? Yeah, we're all on board okay. with that, I yeah. think. Okay. <laughs> we're, not, we're not 
Nobody here is a Kendall Bryles apologist. Okay, that, that's good. I just want to make <laughs> or sure. Or fan for that matter. Well, yeah. <laughs> want to make sure we're starting on the right foot. So garbage human being. But that aside, as an offensive coordinator, he's kind of a greedy OC. He likes to run as fast as he can, get as many yards as possible, as many points as possible, and kind of leave his defense out to dry. And I was like, well, Barry needs an offense to work with him, to have his, have his schemes work. Have you noticed any inclination inclination of the offense getting greedy or is Bryles kind of growing yes. up and, and realizing what he can do? <laughs> I'm going to just stop you there because, yes, okay. uh, I would almost single-handedly attribute the LSU loss to that. Um, yeah. Offense just was horrible horrible in that game. And I know we scored 24 points, but that LSU defense hasn't stopped anybody this year. No. And a lot of the mistakes on offense have are in that game were scheme issues, play-calling issues, and insistence to run the ball – as fast as possible. Go, 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 go. And when you have a defense that, A, in that game, was missing six defensive linemen. <laughs> and, B, is filled with already a kind of duct tape approach with Grant Morgan with one arm, Hudson Clark as a walk-on. That just doesn't pay off. And we saw that in the LSU game, that LSU was able to get that win despite the fact that at least myself and Saul and probably a lot of other Arkansas fans thought we should have won that game. Yeah, and Tucker and I have a, a thing that we talk about uh, at least once a game, and, and for several games it's been almost for the entire game, and that's what we call the like Kendall Bryles Stop Being Cute Challenge. Uh, Kendall, <laughs> Kendall this Bryles is not loves, a compliment of his appearance, not a by compliment the way. At all. Yeah, he is. Kendall Bryles loves to run plays where we lateral the ball six times and then throw a pass downfield uh, from the running back to the tight end or something like that. It yeah. just doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. he, he loves to, you know, kind of he like he, to me he outsmarts himself a lot of the time. He has all this motion that just doesn't lead to anything. He has all these sort of like plays. Like again, the, the thing with LSU, we go back to it. We knew like as pretty as pretty you know obviously we're pretty intense Razorback fans, but even kind of casual fans knew that. The LSU defense was giving up 10 yards per pass per game almost. Like, that's what they did. And Kendall Bryles decided the LSU game was the perfect time to trot out the run game. Just for the, <laughs> Without for the our end, starting running back, by the way. Without our starting running back. We're, down, we're our second string running back who did not play well. We threw, All of our scoring drives were two minutes because they were a handoff and then a 60-yard bomb from Felipe Franks to get us to the one or into the end zone. So we scored like three times, but we had the possession, possession of the ball for like 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's because we, kept, we were 0 for 15 on third down. Like, it was very bad, <laughs> to say the least. And it's because Kendall Bryles was like, well, it's time to mix in a triple option reverse. Uh, this is like the time to do it in this rain-filled stadium right now. And if anything, it, it's a credit to Barry Odom that the yeah. defense played as well as it did because quite frankly, they were just lacking bodies. Yeah. We yeah. had a three-man front on the line because we literally had three men. <laughs> and so to hold <laughs> them to 27 points, you'd oh. think, well, I mean, my god, these guys put Mike Leach back on the map. I mean, <laughs> you can pass on these guys. But no, we're we're just gonna hand off to our second string running back twenty times. So Bryles, since he's been at Baylor, since he left Baylor, I should say, he he's been at three other places, each for one year. So it sounds like if he continues this trend and bounces, you all aren't gonna shed a tear, am I right? I will cry for no minutes if he leaves. Yeah, I I'm he's an interesting guy to me, and not in like the fun way of just like, what is he gonna do? Like I don't. I've never really understood his 
appeal to say the least, um, both as a person as, and as a coordinator. Like, I think he has a pretty good offensive mind, but I think, like I said earlier, I think he just outthinks himself a lot. Uh, but I will say, you know, we, when we when we first we got hired, we were careful to say, like, you know, the sins of the father don't fall to the son necessarily, but sure. obviously this guy knew what was – he had to know what was going on mm-hmm. at Baylor. And, you know, he is a guy that looks to have larger aspirations, but I think, too, for us – when Sam Pittman got hired, we were we we knew. I'm sure that you probably felt the same way about Drinkwitz. Is like, who is this guy going to put around him to mm-hmm. help him succeed? Yep. And I think at the time, Kendall Bryles was a pretty good hire, at least on paper, because that's a guy that has a lot of offensive experience in D1 college football and Power Five conferences, and can help scheme up an offense to get it going when it had is coming from this left lane hammer down BS that Chad Morris <laughs> was preaching because it, that wasn't really a thing. Right we lane didn't have an offensive out. Yeah, right lane flashers on. Like we didn't have an <laughs> offensive identity and I will at least give Kendall credit for at least trying to establish an identity. Sure. Sure. Well, whatever that identity is, I know he's he's kind of the Baylor offense is all over him and that's that's what he knows. It's all yeah. kind of predicated on the run game and y'all's run game sucks. Like it's yeah. it's not good <laughs> and and it's so weird <laughs> I mean, you saw a little bit of that at Florida State, but Florida State didn't have an offensive line last year. So I'm just curious, like, even with uh, Rakeem Boyd bouncing out, and I know he was kind of your number two, um, what what's going on with the run game here? And, and is it something that can be fixed immediately, or is this like, oh, it's going to take a while to get back to where we need to be? I think it's a mix of things. I actually just wrote an article uh, lavishing praise on Rakeem Boyd, um, kind of as – a eulogy to what was not the fairy tale ending that he was hoping for for his senior year. But I think he's been pretty banged up. And so it's just very clear to me, at least, that at this point, and I think Traylon Smith is a good young back, but it was just very clear that Rakeem Boyd was the best running back we had. And I don't think we've had him fully healthy at any point this year. Mm-hmm. And so to have him banged up, getting the 12 carries plus a game that you want him to get and just not really able to do anything with it because of how banged up he is, that has hurt the running game. And it, you know, some of the games we've been in, we've been behind, so we've needed to pass more. So game script, you know, kind of required not running, but I really think that whatever injuries he's been dealing with, and then obviously missing the LSU game with COVID that, that's been the big issue because our line is mostly the same as last year and we were able to run last year and yeah. that was with a bad coach. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Saul, if you want to say more, go ahead. No, I mean, like, I, I, I just want to echo that of, like, Trevon Smith is a great change of pace back, but we kind of saw the LSU game. He's not really ready for lead back duties just yet. I don't mm-hmm. think that's saying anything bad about his character or his play. I just think, you know, he's not used to that and – he can get there. I think he can get there for sure. We've seen him. Like, he's an athletic guy, and we've seen him have these really, you know, chunk plays and these bursts, and he's an ath- really athletic guy. So that's not like a, a commentary on him. It's just that he's not used to having that much to do during the game, and I think he functions better as a change of pace. But I really do think just the fact that Rakeem could not find a way to stay healthy this year, I think he was a little more banged up than he let on and maybe even the coaching staff let on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, getting covid not helpful and you know even if, if you're already banged up and then you get a you know an infectious disease that makes it harder to breathe that's not great obviously as, as we know so i i just think yeah i think he was banged up and then the guy behind him just wasn't ready to step up into that that feature back role just yet um 
And so you're right. It's predicated off a run game that's not very strong, but I think it's not very strong kind of due to some extenuating circumstances of injury because we saw last year exactly what Rakeem Boyd could do on a bad team uh, with this same line. And we, me and Tucker coming into the season, he was kind of our bright spot of like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. we might be bad. This, this whole SEC-only schedule might be a, you know, a gauntlet that we don't really – we come out of, you know, pretty beat up out of, but we have Rakeem Boyd, and he's always fun to watch. And he's certainly one of my favorite Hog players in the last – 10, 15 years without question. So I'm sad to see him go. I wish him nothing but the best. But, yeah, it's just like it's a bummer when your your number one guy is banged up and your number two guy is not the best. There also, before we move on, just isn't a ton of depth at running yeah. back on this yeah. team. Chad Morris kind of left the cupboard bare on running back. And so we had Rakeem Boyd and Traylon Smith. And other than those two, I mean, we have – TJ Hammonds, who's been with the program since Bielema, and he's a great athlete in open space, but he's, you know, converted to wide receiver since then. So not really a true running back. And then the other guys on roster, I think maybe one of them was a pretty touted freshman out of uh, Texas, but then the other two, I think, are walk-ons. So again, it's just an issue of depth to where... (laughs) If Traylon Smith is getting 20 carries and not really going anywhere, we don't really have anybody else to turn to. Yeah. Uh, Amante Spivey has four rushes. Is that That's a guy, and I guess. Yeah. He's a guy. Uh, Felipe Franks is your second leading rusher. Holy cow. That's Yes, sir. <clears throat> Oops. That's – sorry, guys. That sucks. Well. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, but I think the thing is, like, it's so funny that you're like pointing these things out. And I like, I've only thought about it as more of an annoyance. Whereas like last yeah. year, I'd be like, I would, I would be losing my mind. Sure. But because of like how, because we've won four games <laughs> this year, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of just like, yeah, that's a bummer, but who cares? <laughs> that's a bummer, but we got an SEC win. Right, got, like, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> I mean, gosh, you know, this, this offense seems to be predicated on Felipe throwing it to, to Mike Woods and Traylon Burks. And if it's not those guys, then it's really nobody. So, um, I need you to put a little respect on my large football son, tight end Blake Kern, please. <laughs> oh, Blake Kern, 20 targets, 17 catches. Not too bad. That... Got himself a, a touchdown or two, I believe. My man is my cooking. My man is 6'4 and 270 and runs like a gazelle. We love him. <laughs> Just the pinnacle of, of, that, oh of athleticism. God. So he's 6'4". Uh, you will notice him as soon as he steps on the field in this Missouri game. You cannot uh, it's miss kind him. of a meme between the two of us that he's our large football son. Uh, but I do think that his presence is at least noticeable, if not impactful. I love it. I love it. I love a giant dude who can run like a gazelle. That's I'm super <laughs> jealous of that because I am I'm a fat dude uh, who who runs like a fat dude. So you know it's likewise. <laughs> I wish I could do that. Anyway, all right. So I, I don't no disrespect. Blake Kern's awesome, but I mean it's it's like <laughs> you guys are what top twenty five passing team right now, and the ball travels about seven yards per pass. So it seems like it's a lot of shake and bake. And if you can't do that, you're not doing anything. So. It, is this am I accurate in this take, or is the receiving game or a passing game a little bit better than what I'm looking at here? Um, I think I don't know. Uh, you have to understand what Arkansas fans are coming from. Like I said, eight yeah. different quarterbacks <laughs> under Chad Morris, several of whom could not throw a ball. Yeah. Um, yeah. so having a guy who's got two thousand yards, seventeen touchdowns, and only four picks is like having Dan Marino or something for us. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Uh, 
so you know part of it has been that Bryles does the quick rpo style plays mm-hmm. where it's little short bubble screens and tunnel screens to the receivers but part of it is also that and i don't know what the perception of his of him is nationally that Traylon Burks is one of the best young receivers in the SEC, and I do not say that lightly because he is the best receiver that we have had probably since Bobby Petrino was coaching. Oh, dang. And just an incredible athlete with some of the biggest hands I think I've ever seen. I think he has the same size hands as Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Um, But so part of it has been, yeah, the Kendall Bryles game plan, but part of it's been, Feed the stud. Put the ball in Traylon Burks' hand. And if you're not putting it in Traylon Burks' hand, Mike Woods is probably in single coverage. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I agree with, you know, it's it, it does seem like hyperbole to say um, <clears throat> that, you know, Traylon Burks is one of the best receivers we've had in, and since Petrino. But if you look at who we've had, he, it's, he's right. And, like, he's making it, all these incredible plays. He's just so consistent. And to speak on Felipe Franks, too, Tucker and I have noted that like a, a classic Felipe Franks line is <laughs> he, he's been putting together this season is something he'll be like eighteen of twenty four or like twenty of twenty six where he like is only missing like six five or six throws a game with like two touchdowns like a little over two hundred yards and for the most part no picks like he's very consistent and there are things that I don't like about Felipe Franks we both abhor watching him hold on to the ball in the pocket as it collapses around him and not mm-hmm. throw it away and try to make stuff work he does that often which is annoying. But, I mean, the guy has been pretty rock solid as far as, like, the same amount of stats and, like, what he does in a game. Like, he's very efficient with the passes that he does to take. He's got big receivers like Mike Woods and, and Traylon there, like we were talking about earlier. And so having him, that sort of just kind of, like, steady presence, I think, has been really good because eight quarterbacks in two years is insane yeah. um, to think very about. Bad. That's very bad. <laughs> and they're yeah, all like, starting and, somewhere else now, too. Yeah, or, or they're, like, selling real estate somewhere. Like, they're not <laughs> – yeah. like, they graduated and, like, have moved on. So, yeah. you know, it at the very least, the consistency has been very nice and, like, I think a little bit of a kind of steadying presence on that offense, especially coming from a guy that started at a program like Florida and has that big game experience. To come over to play at Arkansas, it, it, I feel like that's got to that's gotta have a nice effect on the guys around you, even if you are a transfer and, like, new to the team, to come and be like, yeah, I played for Florida and we beat Tennessee and Knoxville and, like, we whooped them and, like – that that sort of stuff, you know, like it's it's gotta be helpful. And I I for one like am a pretty a pretty big Felipe Frank pretty big Felipe Franks fan because I think he's just been the best quarterback we've had under center probably since one of the Allen brothers. Oh yeah, I do think you make a good point though, Nate. Uh, that Traylon Burks and Mike Woods kind of are the passing offense, and I think that's due to the fact that uh, Devion Warren uh, probably third he was in the third on the depth chart third receiver mm-hmm. and he actually was in the middle of kind of a breakout year really hasn't done much uh under chad morris which you know Saul and i blame on chad um, but he was kind of in the middle of a breakout year where he hasn't really done anything in his career at arkansas but this year 15 catches for 278 yards and three touchdowns oh, oh. and unfortunately tore his acl oh, so okay. it really that is something that we will need to look for in this missouri game is who's going to fill that void because it has been a void and there are bodies on the team that i think can do it mm-hmm. i would look to if you're a missouri fan trey knox i would look for mm-hmm. him maybe He's a big, big-bodied receiver, uh, number seven. That's possibly someone that could step up. But really, yeah, that is going to be the question is 
if Mizzou is covering Traylon Burks and Mike Woods, who's open? <laughs> so I want to I want to walk you guys through a nightmare that I've been having since January, <laughs> and it's not okay. called COVID nineteen. Um, although COVID is not a great thing, is a great tagline for the entire twenty twenty season. So that's I'm going to put that in my pocket, Saul. But here here we go. Here's my nightmare. <laughs> The Arkansas-Missouri game is played. Something happens. All I do is that I come to at the end of my nightmare. I'm looking at the TV, and it shows Barry with his fists in the air. It says, Barry Odom has not lost the battle line rivalry since he became head coach at Missouri. And I look at the calendar, and it says 2035. And so... This is this is my continuing nightmare. I know the Missouri listeners already know this, but I wanted to walk you through that and just let you know that this game terrifies me only because I don't want to lose to the guy that we pushed out. Right. I do think that's an interesting little turn of this game. There are a lot of interesting storylines in this game. I know that yeah. the three of us have kind of joked about, you know, this is the battle line rivalry presented by Shelter Insurance. <laughs> it feels corporate. It feels forest, mm-hmm. but there's a lot to this game this year Eli Drinkwitz was one of the guys that we looked at in our coaching search he's from Arkansas Mm -hmm. so from that Gus tree of coaches and so you know there's some maybe bad blood there there's Barry Odom of course on our sideline now instead of the other sideline that'll be something to look at and then uh Basilac is from Fayetteville Arkansas I think went to Fayetteville High School uh, no, Taylor Powell. Fayetteville Taylor High. Powell was from Fayetteville, Arkansas. My bad. That's right. Not yeah, Taylor Powell. Yeah. Taylor Powell. You, you can let that who, out and make me who, sound good. Um, yeah. But. Well, Basil, well, Basil got. Yeah, Basilak was injured against Arkansas last year, right? And he then threw, Powell came in. And he like, threw nine passes, then broke his baby ACL, and then yeah, Taylor Powell right. came in and had to finish it out. So yeah, that's, and led us to a victory. And he teamed up with uh, who? Who is that? Uh, the receiver. Uh, Oh, I'm the transfer. Oh, Jonathan Nance. Jonathan Nance. My, yeah. The love of my the love of my time with Brett Bielema, who broke That's my right. heart under Chad Morris, <laughs> and I will never forgive Chad for chasing Jonathan Nance away. That's right. So a Fayetteville High School player and a former Arkansas Razorback led Missouri to a victory against the Hogs last year. Sorry, and nice. I think that like that was <laughs> Last year we were just like, of course that's what happened. Like, why, why, why? why that's like the I, most fitting into this season I could think of. Yeah. But Script this year, writers you know, got lazy. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's like, all right, but yeah, that you know, obviously Jonathan Nance isn't there anymore. I don't believe, right? He, no, he's that was gone. his last season. Okay, yeah. So maybe not as big a connection, but I that was the thing that stuck out to me last year was like, of course, these guys that just are so closely tied to Fayetteville and the university led to our downfall. <laughs> but I do think game. you know a lot of these players that are recruited are we're recruiting the same players. You know, oh, we yeah. recruit a lot up in Missouri. You guys recruit a lot down in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, there is absolutely going to be, you know, something to talk about in this game. And as much fun as I want to make and will make of shelter insurance, I do think that this game will at least be interesting. I mean, yeah. it, it takes it takes some time, right? Any kind of rivalry yeah. takes some time. And we, you know, before we entered the SEC, we played you guys what twice in a bowl game. So there's just yes. there's not enough really history. Bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we won't talk about they, the bowl games. That's fine. <laughs> I know you're coming. You're coming on our show a little bit later this week, but I just wanted to kind of get a sense from you. What is the feel around Mizzou Nation, Rock M Nation, if you will, mm. um, about how Mizzou is playing this year and what Drinkwitz is doing there in that first season? Because you guys have 
made a little noise, I would like to say, um, as far as what you kind of expected this season to be like versus what it actually is like. So what's kind of the vibe around not only, you know, how are you guys feeling about the season, but how do you guys feel coming into this game against a, a well-improved Arkansas team with a well-improved Missouri team? Do you guys yeah, feel Nate, confident? This is or? our podcast now, so answer our <laughs> questions. You answer our questions now. I didn't know. You're the captain now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's – we were starting off in the exact same place you guys were. New coach, all SEC schedule. Okay, two wins is a victory. And and all of a sudden we're beating LSU. We beat Kentucky for the first time in five years. Uh, you know, we get smashed by Florida, but so does everybody. And, and, and now we're <laughs> in a position where, yeah, the beginning of the season was a little rough, but showed promise. And now we found our quarterback and recruiting is doing well. And now it's like okay so we so we half our roster beat half of south carolina's roster and then our entire roster beat whatever you call vandy this is kind <laughs> of like this is the test and mm. i i've been telling everybody hey don't put too much stock in any game in 2020 like this is all just no. culture building concept figuring out seeing what you got but now that you've won some games now you're like well, okay it would be nice to win this one too and and I think yeah. this is going to be the first team uh, with a with a legit pulse that we've played in over a month. So I think we're all a little apprehensive. The the Sunshine Pumpers are going to see this as a as a win, you know, beat Barry. I think the negative Nancys are going to be like, well, we're going to lose this one. I'm I'm somewhere in between where I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be you know some like um, know, some really strong toddlers, right? Like they haven't figured it out yet, but like. You know, like those those trick shot kids on on the YouTubes that you know they're two and they're like draining threes. Like, oh, this kid's gonna be awesome. That's kind of where I feel like both of these teams are not fully yeah. realized, but showing it. But you know, they have a propensity to fall over and crap their pants. You dig? Mm. Yeah. Oh, there is out. absolutely a chance that this game just turns into you know rolling around in our own filth. Um, <laughs> absolutely, I. I'm not gonna take away anything from the fact that this game could end like six to three. <laughs> Jeez, that would God, we, that would end up being the score of this game with all this. That's 2020, baby. Uh, yeah, just God. Well, and the six points that we got, it would be uh, three safeties. It would not be two goals. <laughs> it would somehow. <laughs> yes, because of course we would be on the winning side of that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I just, man, I, I think the spread right now is three. <laughs> yeah, seems a little high. I am glad I am not a gambling man. Don't, oh God, don't. I, I don't even because I would not touch that with a forty foot pole. I mean, I do think the winner is going to win by three, but I don't know <laughs> who it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, but fifty one is the combined score. Uh, I'd probably go under on that. And as far as three points, I think that's absolutely accurate. So, how do you guys see this game playing out? I think it's going to be that kind of dogfight, uh, and I think you know you'd be foolish to say otherwise. Just because both teams are kind of on a surge right now. I know that we kind of had that deflating loss against LSU, but I think most of us kind of attribute that to the fact that we just were decimated by COVID and still played the game. Yeah. But overall, there has not been a game other than the Florida game that I would say that we haven't been in this year. Even the Georgia game with a kind of lopsided score at the end, we held them, you know, we were winning at halftime. Uh, yeah, for a full and half. It was awesome. So, they're, you know, the, we will be in this game, and I don't think it'll be the kind of Arkansas that maybe you're used to seeing, but I have to give credit to Drinkwitz, and quite frankly, this game... I think the talking point, at least I guarantee you among the color commentators, will be, 
whether or not this game decides SEC Coach of the Year because, quite frankly, I can't think of guys who have done better jobs than Pittman and Drinkwitz with the respective starts that they've had. Obviously, I've got my bias because I think winning one game at Arkansas is worth (laughs) – I think we should have built a statue as soon as we beat Mississippi State. But uh, with what Drinkwitz has been able to accomplish, I fully expect this game to just be one of those that – turnovers decide or one of those where a last second field goal wins it just because both of these coaches have really really hit the ground running i agree um it's i'm all this game is always a a, a confusing mess to me even if both teams are good <laughs> or both teams are bad like yeah. it's always i always just kind of watch it with like I detach from my body a little bit. I feel like when I watch this game, I'm like, okay, I'm exper- this game is happening to me. I'm not watching it. It's <laughs> like I'm just here, and it's like happening to me. Uh, this year, obviously, I feel a lot better about where Arkansas is. But of course, the one year that Arkansas starts to kind of surge and and you know be relevant again, so does Missouri, uh, and that's <laughs> yeah. like really annoying to me. It's like you guys couldn't take one more year to get your shit together, uh, you know. So, I mean, I think it's going to be close. I The, the three-point spread, I joked earlier, seems a little high, to be honest, by like a two-and-a-half, maybe one-and-a-half sort of situation here. But I, I don't I don't particularly see a high-scoring game. Um, but I do think there is, you know, on the off chance that, you know, Felipe finds his groove, or maybe this is the game where Traylon Smith is like, oh, I can be a lead back, and he, you know, takes off. Because we've seen him kind of have the ability to – to make a big play, especially in the open field, off of like a, a catcher if he hits the right hole, sort of thing. So, this I, is probably I, the first game in this series, given how recently it started, since like 2014, where both teams are relatively good. Yeah, it, it's been kind of like one team is awful and the other team wins, just kind of a lackluster game. And most of the time, it's been us being awful, but. <laughs> Uh, I actually like. I'm kind of excited to see what a real battle line rivalry presented by Shelter Insurance looks like. <laughs> yes, I so agree with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you guys. I'm gonna challenge myself too, and we'll, and we'll get out on this. You mentioned the SEC Coach of the Year, and yeah, I think Ooh. it really is between Eli and, and Sam. And you rewind the clock to 2013, the SEC Championship. Same thing with with Gary Pinkle and Gus Malzahn. Basically, whoever won that game was going to win Coach of the Year. So my challenge is I'm going to challenge myself to make the case for Sam Pittman, and you two got to challenge yourselves <laughs> to make the case for Eli Drinkwitz. And I'll go first because okay. <laughs> I, I, am, I am of like mind with Tucker here. I, I want Eli to win this. I think he's done a great job. But y'all were unwinfeated for like four years. Like you didn't win an SEC game for two, right? Something like that. Um, yeah, two. <laughs> getting getting beat by San Jose State, Western Kentucky, by your own old quarterback. Like this team <laughs> gave up at the slightest sneeze, and with essentially <laughs> the same roster minus some some playmakers plus some walk ons, you've quadrupled your win total and scared some teams. And no one expected anything from you guys, let alone in the West. And here you are. Uh, certainly, I mean, you're, you're sixth, but that's not the point. You've won games. That's the point. Uh, and yeah. so quickly. And the fact that you can scare a Georgia, like, it just, to me, that means that Sam Pittman would be, in my mind, probably the front runner for the SEC Coach of the Year. All right, your turn. Okay. I, I can do this. Or yeah, we can go both for this. it. Um, I've always felt, since they entered the league, 
or since they entered the SEC, Missouri has kind of been the redheaded stepchild of the SEC. Agreed. Just being like, why is this team here? What <laughs> is going? Like, they're not even in the South, really. Like, it's a more Midwestern state. And, like, you know, when they came in with A&M, you know, I understand you got to balance it out and all that good stuff. But since they came into the league, it's it's always been, even at, even at their best, they kind of be like, ah, cool, Missouri's doing well in the East. Good for them, I guess. There's never been a lot of respect put on Missouri's name since they came into the SEC, you know, they were a Big 12 power there for a long time, and they were really fun to watch when they, when you guys were in the Big 12. There were some really good games back in that early 2010s, late 08, 09, like that sort of stuff, back when you guys were really cooking. And so I remember when both of these positions were opening, there were jokes about, like, which of these is more desirable, like, you know, Missouri or Arkansas, and the... The answer was like, well, getting a job somewhere else is more desirable. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, but I think Missouri even somehow came out on. Uh, people were saying that it was a worse position to be in than Arkansas because Arkansas at least is like a little bit of a more ingrained in SEC culture and people recognize it as an SEC school. So there was like kind of like a, a cloud hanging over that job of being like, who wants to go coach at Missouri and coach in a conference that they don't really compete in anyway. And what Dracovitz has been able to do culture-wise, to get those guys to buy into him year one and to come over from, you know, App State, who is not um, anyone to sneeze at, had a good program over there, but, you know, it's not an SEC program, but to come over and to establish himself so quickly and in a way that got people to notice, especially with, with wins against, you know, at the time, LSU wasn't as seen as who they are, you know, now, but they're still they're still a good team and you know, when it gets South Carolina, when it gets Vanderbilt, like he's got the same almost the same amount of wins and in the same amount of time here as, as Sam. So there's something to be said for that, for turning a school that people, you know, oftentimes make the joke or the butt of jokes and turn it into not necessarily a powerhouse, but into a winner and a competent football team. I, I could see him easily going toe to toe with Sam for, for this honor. I will go even further and just say I think there's really only one bad loss on the schedule for Missouri. Mm-hmm. I think nobody's going to beat Alabama this year. I think they're going undefeated. Yeah. But if anybody's going to beat Alabama this year, it's Florida. So those are your two big losses. Mm-hmm. And then Tennessee was another loss, which was at Tennessee, which is a little confusing, you know, just because it's hard to play there. But I do think, you know, the way the Tennessee season has turned out, maybe that's your only bad loss. But yeah. a win against LSU, a win against Kentucky, a win against South Carolina, a win against Vandy. Like, yeah, you're looking at, other than the really, you know, not quality loss to Tennessee, that this is maybe a program ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would certainly think so. I think most of us think so. Outside the more, most positive corners, uh, we're all very <laughs> impressed. And I certainly didn't expect much, and, and he's delivered far beyond my expectations. So, man, yeah. Well, uh, sirs, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, you can follow me at Tucker Partridge, and you can follow him at Saul Malone. I'm going to... I guess take this time to plug my own, since I've gone independent from Arkansas Fight, <laughs> I am doing a Razorback newsletter called Pigtails. It's at pigtails.substack.com. <laughs> oh, that's great. I have jumped on the Substack train, so nice. if you want to read anything about Arkansas, you can feel free to subscribe there. Saul, do you have anything? Yeah, if you want to, I mean, I don't know, 
if you're a Missouri fan, you probably don't. But we're we're a pretty good time on Twitter, so follow us there. And then our podcast does have a, a Twitter. We're trying to grow that. It's at Hog and Mike Pod. So you can check that out. We usually live tweet the football games and do little jokes here and there, and we have a good time with it. And it's been a fun season to be an Arkansas fan online versus last year when it was a miserable time to be an Arkansas fan online. Um, <laughs> so yeah, give uh, check us out there. But yeah, our, I think our just yeah, our, at Saul Malone and at Tucker Partridge is where we do a lot of our our work. We will be doing a lot of shameless self promoting on those handles. So you if you follow those two, then you'll be able to get the other stuff. Yeah, and I will say I will attest these two are very entertaining on Twitter. So do give them a follow, <laughs> even if you're not an Arkansas fan. Outside of that, they're entertaining. So do take a look. So sirs, thank you for jumping on. Good luck on Saturday, but not too much good luck. Thank you yeah. so much for having Thanks us for on. Having Nate. Us, it man. was a joy to do it. Thanks, guys. to Saul and Tucker. I appreciate their insight as always. Give them a follow. I know they're Arkansas guys, but they are highly entertaining. You should take a listen. Follow them on the Twitter machine at least. BK, we got Arkansas. This is, this has been all year leading up to this, the Berry Bowl. Because Papa Odom's coming back. Uh, his old stomping grounds. And he's got a couple of Missouri players on the graduate assistant staff. And he's got basically his entire team on the opposite sideline this time. Um, he went to school here. He played here. He coached here. And now he's coaching our quote-unquote rival. Uh, Drinkwitz has talked about you know, how, he, how he's handling the communication as far as playing their old coach and managing the expectations and all that sort of stuff. But uh, with Barry Odom and, and just being this being a rivalry game, how are you feeling going in? Anxious, I think, would be the right word for it because they do some things that – present some real challenges uh that defense is really good it's really good Mm -hmm. and we knew that he's a hell of a defensive coordinator this is not a surprise to anybody that has seen any um any amount of Barry Odom defenses over the last decade basically he's really good on that side of the ball um and they are one thing that has been a little surprising is how good they are with ball skills um, they come up with a ton of interceptions when the ball is in the air, they are ball Hawks and they're doing everything that they possibly can to come down with it. Uh, turnovers are their calling card and the defense is what concerns me going into this one, what they are able to do defensively and them causing havoc on your offense. Um, their offense does not concern me. Not worried about Felipe Franks. Uh, their running game just lost Raheem Boyd. He decided to opt out earlier today, so he's not going to be playing on Saturday. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of weapons on the outside that scare me. Uh, this is a game that I expect to be relatively low scoring, but it's the defense, and that's kind of what sucks, uh, that that concerns me going into this one, and I'm nervous because I don't want to lose to Barry Odom. <laughs> same, 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 same. Um, you know, I was when I was doing the the preview of Arkansas, I was actually just surprised looking at their their season to date stats. So as a, as a team, SP Plus sees them as the 56th best team. Missouri is currently 69th. Nice. Um, Arkansas's offense is 55th. Their defense is 50th. And I was like, okay, that seems weird because they seem to have been like strangling every team that they've played, holding them to season lows on points. What the heck is going on? Well, here's the thing. uh, Barry Odom's defense is good at one specific thing. 
They are good at taking away the big plays. They give you nothing. They give you nothing big. They will give you two yards, three yards, four yards, two yards. You can do that all day. Running game, passing game, however you want to do it. Opponents are completing 65% of their passes against the Razorback defense. That's 101st in the country. But as far as explosive plays go, top nine, stopping big runs. Top 16, stopping passing explosiveness. Uh, They give you nothing big. So you have to matriculate 8, 10, 12 plays down the field to score. Now, can Missouri do that? Yes. Yes, they can. They absolutely can. That's what they've been doing since the Kentucky game. But they if you make one mistake, they pounce on it. I think they're undefeated when they've uh, when they've had an interception and they have not won a game when they don't turn the other team over. So if you want to boil it down to something simple, there it yeah, is. Yeah, you got to play Cape away. Um, and this is one of those games that what Missouri does really well is, is going to have to play into their favor. Um, they are really good at running the football, and they got to do it really effectively in this one. And they need Connor Bazelak to have an effective performance. This could easily end up being a Kentucky-esque performance um, where you, you finish mm, the game and you're yeah. like, Connor Bazelak was fine. Um, the running game was, was pretty good. <laughs> and they were able to run it 100 times. And they did so for about four yards per carry. And that's enough, you know. Um, and it doesn't look pretty. It's ugly. You're in a rock fight, but at the end of the day, you got the W. And Arkansas this year is plus eight in turnover margin. They've done so in eight games, 17 takeaways overall. They've lost the ball nine times. That that's that's the game. That's the game right there. You, if you if you finish this game and you didn't watch any of it, you can just go down to the turnover numbers, and that's going to tell you the story of this game. Yeah, Rakeem Boyd has not been super great this this year. Now he's split carries with Traylon Smith. They're almost 50-50 on carries, so that sucks for them. But Felipe Franks is like their second leading rusher, so that tells you how good their running game is. Basically, Arkansas's offense is a rich man's Vanderbilt, which we just got done strangling. And we've seen Felipe so, Franks. He stinks. Uh, it's a lot of he's similar no stuff. He's he's not good. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, he's not going to burn you. He, he didn't do that at Florida. He's not doing it now. His passes travel seven yards in the air. Like, they're not they're not burning you deep. It's just, you know, Mike Woods and, and uh, uh, Traylon Burks catch those balls and then take it in an extra three, four, five yards. You know, like, that's that's how they do it. Uh, so it's nothing fancy. The run game sucks, and, and they throw short passes. Missouri can do that. Um but yeah, if you if you are giving them a twenty yard field because you just threw an interception, they're gonna cash it in. Okay, you know if you give them a lot of opportunities, this offense can do that. But if you're making them go, you know, 90, 95, 80 yards, that's where they struggle. And Missouri's defense has shown a propensity to yeah, shut that stuff down. Their offense doesn't concern me. Um, I after what we've seen from the Mizzou defense this year, and last week we saw them kind of closer to full health, which was nice to see. I think this is I think this is a legitimately good defense by Mizzou. Um, I think Ryan Walters has done a really good job this season, actually, as the defensive coordinator and like really truly it being his defense now. Um, I like what they've done on that side of the ball. Devin Nicholson has started showing up a little bit, uh, which which has been nice to Hell see. Yeah. He, he had a few flashes last week as well. 
Um, I, I'm not worried about the Arkansas offense being the reason why Mizzou wins. And maybe I'll live to regret saying that, but it, it just, that is not the part of this game that concerns me whatsoever. Um, the thing that would concern me is uh, yeah. uh, Connor Basilek gets a little over anxious. He wants to take the deep ball and sure. suddenly Arkansas is running it back for 20 yards. They get the ball at the 30 going in and they're able to cash that in for a touchdown. And suddenly Missouri having otherwise been driving a little bit now finds themselves down 17 to seven like that. That's what concerns me going into mm-hmm. this one, but that the offense itself for Arkansas just doesn't really do much for me. Yeah. So I, I haven't even looked at the spread this week, but I, at this point, what are you thinking? Is this uh you said it's a rock fight. Is, does Missouri pull out? Does Arkansas win? What are you thinking right now? So Missouri right now is favored by three is what I'm seeing. The over under point total for the game is 51 and a half. Do a little quick math there. Basically the implied um, projection is essentially 27 to 24. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what they're looking at here is what they're expecting. That's pretty similar to what I said earlier, 27, 20. Um, I'll go 27, 23. Um, I think it's a, a relatively close game as just covers that spread and the Tigers get the victory. But I think this one's going to be pretty close. That that Arkansas defense gives me some concern. Yeah, SP Plus sees this as a 52% win probability in favor of Arkansas with a projected score of <laughs> 26.1 to 25.3. Well, Good. okay. Um, yeah, I think – I'll take the under as far as total points. Um, three, yeah, that's probably that's about right. So I'll say Missouri pulls it out, but this is going to be the opposite of Vanderbilt. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to want to cry. Uh, you're going to feel like everything's falling apart, and then somehow, some way, whether it's you know Nick Bolton with the interception finally, or Thicker knocking through a 52 yarder, like it'll be something that comes down to the wire and. Uh, yeah, that'll be nice to win the one of the biggest, dumbest trophies in all of college football. <laughs> it is a ridiculous trophy. It's too big. Um, I saw, <laughs> I saw earlier today. I think it was Martez Manuel said it's the first time that it feels like a rivalry to him. Uh, it still doesn't feel like no, a rivalry to me. No. Um, the the Barry Odom intrigue adds a little bit to it mm-hmm. that makes it feel more uh, rivalry ish, mm-hmm. but. We, we talked about it at the time. It remains true today. South Carolina is, is Mizzou's rival in the SEC. I will not yeah. hear any objections otherwise. And I don't think many Mizzou fans would be objecting <laughs> otherwise. Uh, that's that's very clearly the rival for Mizzou. Mm-hmm. And we're going into this game just playing a team that you really want to beat. Yep. This, is, this is an important game. It, it It's another, it kind of feels like we've been talking about these lately quite a bit because they've all kind of been smashed here at the end of the schedule mm-hmm. this season. It's been a lot of swing games that kind of determine the outcome of how you view the season. If they win this game, you're going to feel pretty good, regardless of what happens moving forward about what happened this year. You beat Arkansas. You were able to take down that curse against Kentucky. You got the big win against LSU, no matter what the season ends up being for them. That, that's that's a good season, regardless of what happens the last few weeks. If you're able to win this plus Mississippi State, now we're talking. Hell yeah. Now now we're talking about a really good year, regardless of what happens against Georgia. So this is this is another swing game. It's important. I think they're going to get the victory, but it's going to be tight. Yeah, I agree. And we'll find out on Saturday, uh, this Saturday, 11 o'clock. December 5th, we're playing Arkansas. That's really weird, but it's that's how it's going to happen. Uh, we will have you covered for the entire day. Make sure you stay tuned to Rockham Nation, and 
we will record Saturday night and tell you all about what you just saw, and hopefully it's a, it's a good one. So uh, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment to rate us because we love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to be better next time. And until then, MIZ. Show you.